All right, so hello everyone and welcome back to another episode, a special Christmas episode here on the Sorted Skeptics, where Tim and I are going to be doing a couple of back-to-back -back book reviews for a little bit of holiday reading over the holiday season. So, the book reviews that we're going to be doing today, one of them is going to be a interpretation of the Tower of Babel that we got sent by a listener, and we thought it would be a great opportunity to compare it to some of the things that are going on right now, as well as tie it into an old classic called Power versus Force. So, let's dive right in. Tim, are you all set? Yeah, let's go for it. All right, here we go. Okay, so we will be taking a look at the short story called Tower of Babel, a retelling by M.D. Couturier. So at the start of the book, it's about um, the global elites make Rome the world capital called Unitopia after nations and borders have collapsed, which is ruled by a world government called the Universal Sovereign or Unison for short. And so we're introduced to our first character who named Rodney Min, who serves as the interim world president. And he and the Global Assembly pass a number of laws aimed at consolidating control over the world's government and implementing their all-encompassing equalitarian ideology, um, a mix of democratic socialism, quote, humanistic corporate capitalism, and moral relativism known as universal perfectimism. Sounds like a lot of words there. <laughs> <laughs> so the most controversial of these laws was one that banned religions that did not conform to the global's elite's view on how a pure egalitarian society should be run. The elitists insisted that the laws were, were intended to eradicate all forms of intolerance, but many suspect suspected that its a true purpose was to enable unison to supplant religion as a source of divine worship. Right, and I think it's a, a great transition to talk about the paradox of tolerance. And are you tolerant of intolerance? <laughs> and that's sort of what the whole paradox is, right? It's like if your whole highest value is tolerance, it's like, okay, well, what do you do about really, really intolerant people? How do you how do you square that particular circle, right? Can you tolerate the intolerant? Can you can you be tolerant of those who are intolerant? And if and if you are, then eventually you're just going to be kind of taken over by those people because they're not tolerant of you. And mm -hmm. given you know any lack of uh, any defense against that argument, given how tolerant you must be, given your own espoused values. Yeah, so it's dependent on what you are actually tolerating and what you can't yeah and i mean i like the 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 angle of going after it's like a war on intolerance like the way they did the whole war on drugs war on poverty war on this mm. war on that and it really ends up making the problem considerably worse <laughs> right so right. i i do like the uh the angle on that one so uh to house this government's bureaucracy president min commissions solomon dukemar to design and build the imperium magnum a structure worthy of the global elite essentially a massive pyra py pyramid okay mm -hmm. it's a thousand and one floors so a rather ostentatious structure if i 
do say so myself. A very grandiose display. Of course, right? it's got to be worthy of the global elites that uh, that commissioned it in the first place. So, mm-hmm. fair enough. You get what you pay for. So, on the day of completion, President Min tells everyone how Unison will transform the planet into a utopia characterized by peace, harmony, and prosperity. Intolerance of any kind will cease to exist. No war or famine anymore, and everyone will live in solidarity and comfort. In other words, the uh, in the words of what that global economic forum, you will own nothing and you will be happy. Yeah, Klaus Schwab. Yeah. Yeah. So the Great Reset. The Great <laughs> Reset. Essentially happening. Sure. Um, and, you know, this is typical i guess of the ideals of you know totalitarian dictators who promise the world but you know and are burning it all to the ground in the process yeah yeah exactly so president min says generosity and compassion will be the watchwords of your government for our sole purpose is to provide for everybody's needs while catering to everybody's wants in order to guarantee happiness and equality for all. Guaranteed happiness and equality for all. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a lot of poisonous sounding fluff. <laughs> so they have a party to celebrate this completion and um, the architect Saul Dukmar in an intoxicated stupor returns to his huge penthouse and ends up raping his maid, Rebecca. Which is essentially a nod to Karl Marx. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> the ever-present champion of the working class who impregnates his maid and kicks her out on the street. Yeah, real champion of the working class, right? Exactly. So, in the story, three weeks later, Rebecca informs her boss that she had become pregnant as a result of the rape and asks him to support the child. Dukmar, who had no recollection of the incident, goes into a rage and accuses her of making up a story about rape in order to cover up what he insisted was her own promiscuity and to blackmail him. So he actually fires her on the spot and throws her onto the street with an ominous warning that she was never to repeat her claim about being raped by by anyone. So despite considering having the baby aborted at one of unison's free public abortion clinics she decides to have the baby on the street because of the extremely long waiting lines of the clinics so she sadly dies in the process of giving birth but the baby is placed in in, in an orphanage where a pious woman named esther wrote genesis on his head but he comes to be known as gene and so as uh, Gene grows up and he turns 13, Unitopia becomes two cities. The western city, Atlantis, is home to the professional upper classes as well as the world business, social, and political elite with high walls and guard towers to keep intruders out. But the eastern city is called Hades, home of the working class, working poor, and underclass. And this is a result of Unison destroying the middle class. It's an endless underworld of rundown houses and tenement buildings, abandoned places of worship, dingy, dingy government hospitals, schools, and welfare offices, and dirty shops, bars, casinos, brothels, drug dens, and abortion clinics. 
So despite Unison's promise of peace, prosperity, and work, Haiti was racked by social chaos, poverty, crime, unemployment, and group conflict. The problems were the result of Unison's economic and social policies for the masses, policies that championed, among other things, an all-encompassing welfare state, and the eradication of the nuclear family in favor of collective parenting. So as a petty thief, Jean breaks into a house to steal a gold crucifix, but is caught by an old Catholic priest named Father Christoph. After Jean tells him he's an orphan without an education, Father Christoph offers to feed, clothe, and teach Jean how to read and write in exchange for his help. So, five years later, Jean continues to grow and discovers his favorite Bible story, the Tower of Babel. And Father Christoph describes how the people who built the city and tower thought they could become gods themselves, so the Lord came down from above and stopped their plans. But the Tower of Babel is about much more than that. It says that God did not want a world in which everyone spoke and thought as one. He wanted there to be many nations and peoples, not a single nation or government that imposed a uniform, tyrannical orthodoxy upon the world's control, which allows for no deviation or dissent. We are living the Tower of Babel story now. And I find that a fascinating connection, especially in this story of the, the Tower of Babel, because I remember Peterson talked a lot about this when he discussed, well, what would be God's motivation? As a limitless being, what is the one thing that you would lack? And that would be limitation as mm -hmm. such, right? So the... The idea that a limitless being would create limited beings to play out a certain series of patterns and see what actually comes out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the limitation is part of that, right? Yeah. So we can't all just be following that, that one singular path imposed by force. It would have to be various paths to see which one produces the greatest power. Right, and that allows for, a, I guess, a freedom of choice rather than one system just being imposed on everybody. Yeah, because it would be an experiment where various people could try different things and see which produces mm -hmm. the greatest results. And if none of them are stifled, you know, eventually someone will come across a better idea that other people can adopt and grows from there. And you have progress as opposed to rigidly adhering to a specific structure because that's how you did it 10 years ago, right? Mm hmm. And essentially, that's the problem with, you know, extremely narcissistic leaders is that, you know, they think they are God themselves and that they have this right to impose this, you know, their, um, you know, the system and beliefs and, and laws and such, no matter how, you know, ruthless or immoral they might be. Well, if it becomes about them rather than about the mission. Mm -hmm. I mean, what what would be the expected result? You know, it's no longer about what you're trying to do. It's about their own ego. Exactly. Bad yeah. move. Yeah. So Father Christoph continues to tell Jean, the Imperium Magnum is the new Tower of Babel. The global elite are now more than halfway to finishing work on their seat of world government. And if that building is completed, the power of unison all over humanity will be final in total. Look around you. The elitists promised as a utopia, but instead we get hell on earth. The people are more divided than ever, and most 
captives to the forces of selfishness, greed, and debauchery. 90% of the population suffers in a permanent state of miserable inequality disguised as equality. If the elitists can accomplish the Imperium Magnum, then they can accomplish anything. So shortly after, Father Christoph suffers a heart attack and after expressing to Jean, and after Jean tells him that he will be lost without him, the father tells Jean that God has a special plan for him and decides to give him the golden crucifix that Jean originally tried to steal. So in part three, Jean travels around Hades and preaches about the evil of Unison and how the Imperium Magnus was the new Tower of Babel. And initially he has trouble building a falling, but within a year he acquires thousands. Um, President Min and Sol Dukmar, the architect, hear about Jean's following and contemplate possibly arresting him, but they decide not to in order to prevent attracting more attention as a martyr, and they think that eventually this following will just die off. So after a few more years, Jean acquires millions of followers, and on the first day of 2099, a year before the completion date of the Imperium Magnum is scheduled for completion, Jean leads his followers to the construction site of the Imperium Magnum. So this is where our summary ends. And to find out how the story ends, we recommend downloading a digital copy of the Tower of Babel, a retelling by M.D. Couturier available on Amazon and we will have that link available. Yeah. And I think it's a great retelling. It's uh, the same story we've heard for thousands of years, but in a more modern context, right? Cause there's always that, that temptation. It's like, well, if we could just control people enough and force them to do the right thing, as far as we're concerned, then <laughs> we'll bring about the damn paradise and everyone will be eating milk and honey all the time and it'll be you know no work for anyone and free money and just free everything and it's just like god damn it that's not how reality works right yeah it's... and but you get the temptation right it's like oh right if you just instituted these laws or these policies or these ideas and if everybody followed it along then everything would be great and it's like yeah it's not quite that simple and it's unfortunately a lot more dangerous than that right because once you've set up a system like that even if it was for the best of intentions, you'll just end up with a bullet in the back of your head and someone else will take over it and make things a million times worse because you gave them the exact tools they need to enforce their own egotistical plan of how the world should go. So it's probably best to just not set up that system in the first place. Yeah, and I think uh, the other problem is they prey on our ideals, mm. you know. But you kind of use your own values against you in a really pathological way. Yeah. And rarely do they, you know, <laughs> transparently explain how this would be achieved. Right. And it's also just, I think preying on our essential needs for comfort and security, um, as well as the means, various means to live. But, you know, the problem is we can't, I think we can't really rely on some outer force for it to be imposed or given to us. Like that's something that, you know, an individual needs to earn through 
you know, their own merit and competency and, and value that they, you know, provide to society. Yeah, and I think in the other book that we're reviewing, Power versus Force, he, the author does explain that sometimes people will get a taste of those higher levels of consciousness without really earning it. And then mm. they'll spend the rest of their life kind of chasing that high again without really doing the work. And they end up just kind of spinning their tires and burning out because they're not really going about it the right way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I guess if you got to get a taste of that kind of personal righteousness you feel when you kind of consider the needs of all of humanity, but then really go about executing it in a super lazy way, it's like, oh, well, here, I think if everybody just had food and housing, everything would be great. It's like, okay, well, how are we going to do it? Well, I'll just kill everyone who disagrees with me. <laughs> Okay, well, you're not the first person who's thought of that, you idiot. <laughs> Come on, like, it's kind of obvious, right? It's like, well, yeah. we'll just give everyone what they need, and if you don't like it, I'll kill you. It's like, come on. Yeah. And as usual, they promised equality. And of course, have... everything will be perfect. <laughs> like, nah, no, it won't. It'll be mm. worse than it is now, and then we got to start all over again, but I guess hopefully people will remember the next time. Maybe don't do it that way, but we never do. 80 years will go by, and it's just, no stories don't get passed down and then it's just like oh let's try that again and it just keeps happening over and over again Mm -hmm. so it's essentially the warning of the rise of a totalitarian dictatorship yeah and i mean it it, kind of keeps cropping up over and over again because i guess people well we just want just a little bit of security we'll give you just a little bit of freedom for it and then people get a taste of that they're like oh man yeah i don't even have to take responsibility for that anymore that's amazing give me more of that and it just you know you get Mm -hmm. a few generations of that and nobody even remembers where we started Mm -hmm. you know nobody Mm -hmm. remembers the hard-fought freedoms that were achieved in the past and now it's just sort of taken for granted and that's why they kind of slip away not not a great situation Mm mm-hmm yeah, like the frog with the, you know. Yeah, that boiled, pot. that damn boiled frog. God <laughs> damn. Keeps coming back. Keeps coming back, yeah. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, here, here we're what, like, God, month, like, tw- 19 of two weeks to flatten the curve. Yeah. It's checking in again, like, yeah, yeah, we've seen this one, and now we're getting back into this new variant. It's like, well, we just got an old variant, like, a few weeks ago. What is this, a new one? Oh, the other one wasn't terrifying enough. Okay, well. Yeah, and they're saying stuff like don't mix, you know, people who've had two vaccines can't be in contact with those who have had or the one those who have had three vaccines shouldn't even be contact with two. That was just announced recently by the like head doctor in Oh yeah, Ontario. You, you thought you were protected. It's like <laughs> now you're unclean until you yeah. get the next one and the next one. Oh my God! Yeah, it's just a nonstop, nonstop process. Mm-hmm. So I think people are kind of getting fed up with it, but you know, this was the ideal. It's like, well, what if we could just make everyone perfectly healthy and perfectly safe all the time? And it's like, well, how are we going to do that? It's like, well, we'll just deny medical care to everyone who disagrees with us. It's like, we've seen this before. You know, we've tried it this way. It doesn't work. Exactly. How many times? Yeah, and it's like, are, are you going to go tell all the alcoholics and obese people that it's like, oh, I'm sorry, you didn't take care of your health enough to receive any public edu- you know, any public health care anymore? <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. You know, if you're, oh, and I guess this also means that they won't have to pay for it. Oh no, I'm sorry, they're still going to be forced to pay through their taxes for the system that they've been shut out of because of some political decree. It's like, yeah, good luck with that. Mm-hmm. So, 
in this next session, we're going to be talking about um, the level of pride from transcending the levels of consciousness by David of Hawkins. And essentially, you know, the Tower of Babel is the story of man's extreme pride in a way. And so one of the key defining features of pride is that it's alienating and gives rise to factionalism resulting in many costly con consequences where man has habitually died for pride for which armies still regularly slaughter each other in religious wars political terrorism zealotry and the awful history of the middle east and central europe are the price of pride and hatred for which all society pays. So the main downside of pride is arrogance and denial on an individual level. And these are traits that block growth. And this makes sense because with pride, um, you know, for example, recovery from addictions is impossible because emotional problems and character defects are denied. So it's a major pride is a major block to possessing real inner power, which displaces pride with true stature and prestige. So the ego inflation of pride is the core of its vulnerability as the ego overemphasizes its importance and then miscalculates its value as a guide to function, survive and interact with others. Because the self-esteem of pride itself rests on inflated and exaggerated opinion rather than on reality. So the ego searches for confirmation, which rests on the insecure premises of opinion. But on the flip side, pride provides self-reward for successful accomplishment and is a normal response that is learned in childhood via parental approval and good behavior. Pride is a reward system, helps develop maturation and adjustment to culture. And problems occur when the ego confuses itself with being rewarded instead of the behavior. So this leads to seeking the reward of admiration by which actions become secondary to the goal of winning approval. So I think with that, pride is like a blinding sort of element to... It's kind of like a first gear motivation. Where it's mm. like if you're really, really down in the dumps, you're in the state of shame, humiliation, guilt, all that stuff. Mm. Pride might be a good motivator to get your ass up off the couch and moving. Right. But beyond that, it's going to start running into problems once you start having to produce results and you, I guess you put your pride before that. Then it starts to slow you down. Right. So yeah. you, if you don't shift gears properly, get up into speed, you know, right. Because I think if it's if it's the sole motivation just for pride and your your image it's or not vanity, enough. it's not enough. Not you enough. actually need integrity. Yeah. Like, not not enough to keep you on the course when the temptation yeah. of corruption kind of shows up. Right. Yeah. If you don't love it enough, it's like, yeah, why not just take a little on the side? What does it matter? It's like, <laughs> well, I mean, if you had kind of got over your pride and focused on the mission then that wouldn't even be a consideration yeah because the pride has the egotistical i guess kind of selfish 
Yeah. Sort of. You you focus on yourself rather than putting that out. Something, yeah, larger. Yeah, exactly. Right. Some higher order value. Exactly. Um, so the motivating... So this motivating pattern of pride being self-reward in most adults to various degrees, but with progressive maturity, um, it becomes internalized and self-reward occurs by virtue of the authority of internalized parental figures and standards. So essentially, as one matures, the opinions of others diminish in importance and are replaced by self-approval. And life is, is then lived by these internal standards. And at a much more mature level, although the approval of others can be nice, it isn't pre purely uh, deterministic of behaviors as expressed by the common saying, I have to live with myself. So yeah, it's all, you know, it's nice to have a social approval, but it's not really the highest consideration. You still got to sleep at night. So Yeah, you still have your own, you know, self-esteem, which is your, you know, um reputation with yourself and you have your own conscience that you still have to you know, try and deal with. And... Yeah, because you can't really lie to yourself because you kind of know all your own secrets. So, right. you know, you can kind of delude yourself out of your own bullshit for a while, but you kind of know, and if you really think about it, you're like, oh, yeah, I don't really have that squared away. Yeah, it'll so. it'll come back, and it won't, yeah. But the idea of pride is important, because I think it's it's often dependent on social image and its expression via possessions, pub publicity, titles, wealth, all that stuff. So sort of social status signaling. You know, mm. that, that's what all that, like, you know, the Gucci stuff is all about, or super fast cars that aren't really all that practical it's you know it's look ultra at me. luxurious a little bit yeah like the instagram stuff you know look at me status symbol <laughs> it's like oh look at how great i am um so i guess the social status and its own sim symbols motivate subcultures which are their own intrinsic earmarks of success so i guess there's a lot of different subcultures that people might want to be a big part of then you know so social status in one sphere might be really important like look at how well i'm ranked on steam for this one particular game and somebody else is like what the hell is that is that a computer game like you're like oh my god it's the most important thing in the world and look at how high ranked i am and they're like i have no idea what that even is yeah, yeah. so with that per within that person's context it's a very uh... yeah it might be a super big deal but everyone's like maybe you shouldn't play that many it's kind of weak uh yeah so yeah so people's desire for status though that is something that's really really deeply ingrained like a lot of violence stems not from like i need your shit to feed myself it's more like you insulted me and diminished my status so now mm. i have to kill you to get it back mm -hmm. you know it's more about that. deeply rooted right. primal because it's more of like well what's going to happen to me in the future if i take that status hit without any kind of retribution yeah. So there's more of a cost to it, you know, down the road. So it's, you know, you'll find it's more of a status challenge mm -hmm. that results in violence. It's not so much like a material need. It's kind of too simple of an explanation. So uh, that's what I kind of like about power versus force, the way they they separate out various words about ones that are really low energy and ones that are sort of higher energy. 
Now, right. Now I find this whole like energy talk. I don't really like the way it's worded because it's a little bit too woo woo. I think if they kind of kept it more conceptual, this Fair would enough. probably stick a little bit better. But when they start talking about energy fields and all this kind of stuff, it's like, okay, Jesus, can we just call it something else? And then maybe this would make more sense. But uh, they do make a uh, a good point about how high status comes from things like skill and competence and achievement and kind of getting it done. Mm-hmm. And low status, if you happen to be given low status, will lead to humiliation, depression, and eventually violence as an alternative to get mm. out of that low status, right? And resentment, yeah. Yeah, so the uh, the Art of Manliness podcast in uh, November 15th of this year, they talked a little bit about how this, I guess, low status is a way for people to kind of motivate themselves to get up to a higher level of status. And they can do it in various different ways. And I don't know, some different kinds of status appeal to different kinds of people. So I think when in this power versus force book, when you have that really low level of consciousness that they say calibrates, I guess, below 20. So you're down in that zone of humiliation. Mm -hmm. At that point, I mean, you'd be doing basically anything to try to raise your social capital somehow. Right, and mm. even if that has to be violence, I think that for a lot of people is preferable to sitting, I guess, below the dominance hierarchy. You know, like they're so far out of the game that it's like it doesn't matter what they do, you know, and that they figure, well, you know, violence might be a good option. Yeah, and it it makes sense because in a way, social status maybe you know has that positive aspect of providing one you know motivation to you know rise up to you know at the same time mm-hmm. a better level of consciousness yeah and then once they well. move up a little bit maybe to maintain that and get even higher mm-hmm. right so this would be a a scale that this author has put together that sort of ranges between zero and a thousand and it's i guess it ranges all the way down from like the state of humiliation Shame, shame, guilt, fear, fear, all that. And then it moves up to courage and maybe a certain sense of neutrality and reason, reason, acceptance, love, joy, ecstasy, these sort of things. And you sort of move up these various levels uh, through consciousness. And I said, yeah, I suppose if people were to operate more from a place of love, joy, ecstasy and a general goodwill for everyone around them versus like shame humiliation i'm gonna kill you to get back at you kind of mentality yeah i can see how that would 100 percent be better for everybody across time right absolutely so i think i think there is something here that would have to be explored about how how would you go about raising your level of consciousness exactly so we can't deny that social reality is a strong Social class is a strong reality other than age and sex and is one of the first things that people notice about each other. The social pressure of subcultures is very strong and determines internalized patterns of behavior that define success or failure and can affect pride, self-esteem, and perceived social value. So pridefulness itself is generally frowned upon in society at large as it's expressed as arrogance and personal superiority and tends to be an antagonistic social positionality for it is seen as vanity with its implied air of superiority i.e the political correct politically correct or elite so this would be the uh 
the fashionable opinions of the day. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry, you don't believe that? Well, you must just be some uncultured brute. Yeah, some surf. <laughs> some surf, some poor pleb that just doesn't really understand high culture. <laughs> How disappointing. <laughs> right. And pride is also self-admiration, which implies that others, by comparison, are inferior or possess less value, rank, or worth. So egoistic pride as specialness triggers resentment in others and in society in general. On the other hand, the truly successful people are accepted because mature success is accompanied by humility and gratitude rather than an air of superiority. And yeah, that's probably a good point to make. Like if you're really, really good at something, you generally don't have to prove it to anyone because everybody already knows. Mm -hmm. But the people that really try to go out of their way to prove they're good at something, they're they don't tend to be that good at it because then they wouldn't really have to go around trying to prove it all the time. So mm-hmm. just one of those, I don't know, funny and curious things about people. Yeah, and when you have to constantly prove it, it shows in a way like a lack of, I guess, self-esteem. Right? A little bit, yeah. You gotta, you gotta always go out of your way to <laughs> make sure people know. Get that confirmation. Yeah, and I think one of the things that it's uh, another way you could look at this power versus force thing would be like based versus cringe. <laughs> you know that which is based is powerful that which is cringe is based in force interesting you know what i mean like when people really force themselves it's like oh that's so cringe and everybody knows it yeah, yeah. but then when someone says something that's so plainly obvious and rooted in reality you're like hmm, yeah based yeah yeah and it's a powerful quite statement. refreshing yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the refreshment comes from the power right the cringe mm. comes from the force Nice. Yeah. Nice. I like it. Yeah. That's that's sort of the way I look at it, right? It's, <laughs> I guess it's just our generation's way of determining good versus bad, or you know, <laughs> uh, base versus cringe. It's way funnier. I like it. Yeah. So pride is guarded because of its invulner its uh, invulnerability as well as its high visibility. So its downside is envy, competitiveness, jealousy, and their consequences of hate, malice, and vindictiveness so the fragility of pride stems from its narcissistic core which she which sees true importance as a threat and imply loss of stature thus vanity results in sensitivity to slights or comparisons that lead to a fear of attack and social paranoia with its nascent hostility that can rapidly become overt so this is expressed in the hate the leader syndrome or the hatred of success or even hate America syndrome. Like the never Trumper types. Yeah. It's, well, he's pretty successful and he hasn't gone and started any wars. So screw this guy. Let's burn him in the stake. Ah. Right. And yeah. I, I think when we talked about vanity before, I love Molyneux's definition of this where he's basically like vanity is having an idea that you're not willing to test against the world. Right. Mm. So, wow. as, so someone who has a really overinflated sense of themselves, and you point out like a basic fact about them that isn't consistent with the self-image, it's like fly off the handle, narcissistic rage. It's like, well, if it's wrong, why would it make you mad? You know, like if I call you a tree, you're not going to get mad because it doesn't have any basis in reality. But, you know, if I were to call you a lazy dumbass because you were kind of lazy and you did stupid shit and you knew it. It would make you mad because I'm not a lazy dumbass. Fuck you, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it'll hit home a little bit, but 
So I think if, if people say things that make you upset, you should probably really look at why it is. It's like maybe there's a some truth in there that you don't want to face, and vanity might be blinding you to the truth. Mm-hmm. Some self-reflection and humility might actually... Go a long way. Yeah. So the downside of narcissism is expressed in children who envy or are hostile towards the winners of their class, which results in the derision of high performance by fellow students and the hostility of narcissism finds profitable, profitable cultural expression where it is exploited for political or financial gain or attention getting. And, you know, this is another thing Stefan says is that, you know, it's great that we have you know, people that are so specialized and, you know, really great at singing, for example, right? And, yep. but if we kind of made that all equal, it's like, no, we, we know that, you know, the person on American Idol who's like screeching some <laughs> cover song isn't, uh, you know, worthy of admiration right yeah and, i mean say what you will about the music business but i mean one of the things it does do is filter out a lot of the terrible shit right it's like they take one listen to it and like this isn't gonna make money no one's gonna listen to this you know a, a lot of the you know they might throw out a few good ones but for the most part they really filter out the crap that just is just terrible but yeah. if you had to sort of scroll through i guess I don't know, Spotify or YouTube music or Apple music or whatever. And it's like every song was just by some random person that's just never made music before. God, it would drive you crazy. It's like, oh, there's now billions and trillions of songs. That's amazing. But like, you know, 4% of them are good. Exactly. Good yeah, luck finding that, them, bud. Like, you know. Is that Pareto principle? The Pareto principle, yeah. So we, uh, a lot of that success is going to concentrate in a very few number of people. And I mean, fine. There's nothing wrong with specialization. You know, and excellence, and excellence, and beauty, and all that, and people spending like their entire life perfecting a craft. I think that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we need that. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's like you know, we can't all do everything. So having a bit of specialization and having some means of exchange that's consistent, that doesn't get inflated in value all the time, mm -hmm. that, that could be pretty useful. Yeah, and I think because we need things worthy of, you know, its intrinsic admiration right that's mm. sure like merit so the consequence of self-importance based on pride um, is its need to constantly be fed and propped up to offset inner doubt and deficiency of wholes wholeness and completeness that arises from satisfying the requirements of integrity so pride is sensitive competitive and feels threatened and becomes inflamed by hostile jealousy that accrues to social status or attention to, uh, to others. Pridefulness is therefore the motivation of the self-appointed critic's use of sarcasm, ridicule, supposed satire, and the whole industry of attacking public figures. Yeah, I think the author does do a, a pretty good job of explaining how force always has to be ex sort of sustained by an external uh, source of energy, in a sense. Like, if you're going to be invading some other country, you got a whole series of logistical problems to try to keep that operation going. Whereas power doesn't need any. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, it's self-generating. It's self-generating its own power, so to speak, right? It's yeah. like with, uh, with Gandhi. I mean, he was just like some, like, tiny Indian guy. And he took on the British Empire that controlled two-thirds of the surface of the earth. And he won. 
It's mind-blowing. Yeah, right? And, and this is because Gandhi was based in power of the truth. Right? And the British Empire was based in the force of, you know, colonialism lies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So eventually the truth would win out, as it always does. Because these systems eventually will just suck up so much energy they just can't sustain themselves. Yeah. And, and they will fall to someone basically just stating that the emperor has no clothes. And hopefully more and more people will recognize and wake up to that. Yep. Yeah, and once you got enough uh, enough of that support, then it's basically inevitable. So the primitive prideful ego is greedy and its transparent Achilles heel eventually attracts the consequences of hubris, which is the theme of many great classics of history. That pride goeth before a fall is society's title for egotistical causes. So humility is the antidote to most errors of self-deception. Pride precludes recognition of the enormous significance of context and especially of paradigm. Therefore, every major advance in human knowledge has been derided as history shows but due to the innate structure of the ego it is intrinsically incapable of discerning truth from falsehood and confuses perception with reality thus it is the victim of its own limitations and to sum up a free society that gives free reign to the whole range of human expression from obviously fallacious to that of advanced wisdom actually hopes that over time wisdom and common sense will prevail over excess or rhetoric when inflated however falsity becomes elaborated and the consequences of falsity may take decades or even centuries of suffering before the falsity is revealed so it could be that hey we've spent this hundred years building this giant pyramid to the gods so that we ourselves can become gods and, oh, it actually turns out that that was never going to work in the first place, and we just wasted, like, three generations of people trying to build this damn thing. And it went completely against the principles that they said they built it upon. Yeah, yeah, because that, you know, feature creep and whatnot. <laughs> so pride is a needless burden and a fragile prop that is not only vulnerable to deflation, but also, paradoxically, it even provokes and attracts attack. It is based on a false presumption that one's intrinsic worth is a definable variable. Self-acceptance results from surrendering self-doubt. All that exists is intrinsically equal by virtue of its creation and the source of that creation itself. It takes courage to jettison the props of pride and, with humility, accept one's inner reality, which, uh, which is an invulnerable source. And the antidote to pride is to choose humility and integrity instead of positionality. Such as being important, quote-unquote right, getting even, indulging in blame, or seeking admiration. All credit for accomplishments can be given to God as the presence of the divinity instead of to the ego. And therefore, accomplishments results in gratitude and joy rather than vulnerable pridefulness. Now, I think this can speak to maybe an individual who's lost and just knows that their knowledge is insufficient or that they're maybe on a path that they can sense isn't right. And so therefore, submitting to a higher power 
and having the humility to admit that they don't know or at least in the current state they don't think that they um are going the right way and they maybe need some guidance i think can be powerful in and of itself by in a way combating the ego's pride well right it would be a, a great way of just getting pride out of the way first and foremost right it's like if i'm uh if this is probably beyond my ability to handle that, mm-hmm. that might be a good start i mean it's, yeah it's not going to solve it but again it might be a good start to kind of be like okay maybe i need a little bit of external power to get this uh yeah move in the right direction if i'm trying these things and they aren't exactly working maybe it's time to experiment with something else mm-hmm. so the uh levels of consciousness that go through this book i think this is probably one of the more interesting parts of the book where they talk mm-hmm. about how you'd move from i guess uh shame at the very bottom through guilt and then you start getting into anger because you don't like your situation, which then leads to desire because now you start thinking, hey, maybe there's a way out of this. Mm-hmm. And then maybe that leads to, uh, you know, a little bit more action, a bit of courage. Mm-hmm. And then once you kind of get yourself on your feet, you kind of feel this certain neutrality about everything. Yeah. And I think a general more stability. Yeah. And then you can start turning your focus outwards and start gaining happiness and joy and ecstasy and love from the rest of the world by putting the rest of the world first. Now, the author does have an interesting warning about the use of drugs to attain higher levels of consciousness. He's like, while it's possible, it's not really granting you access to them. It's just suppressing the lower levels of consciousness well, you have a slight taste of the higher yeah, level. Temporary. Temporary, but you have to be... There's a there's a debt to be paid for that if you mm. try to get to these higher states without earning it. And, yeah, I and, guess. and I think that's sort of how he characterizes the drug argument. It's like, yeah, you might, but it's like you're, you're going to pay more for it than it's really worth because you're always going to be chasing that. Yeah, and that's the possibility of addiction as well. Yeah, not, not ideal, right? So once... You know, instead of without intrinsic worth or one's individual, you know, actions. Yeah, and it has supporting to be, the higher. Yeah, supporting levels. that higher good of putting more of that love out into the world, right? And that's mm-hmm. what it's got to be about. If it's corrupted by some sort of uh, egotistical desire for material possessions or something to that effect, then you're kind of taking a shortcut that'll sabotage you in the end. Mm-hmm. You know. That makes sense. So he has this, it's kind of like a logarithmic scale, which I'm not too familiar with, but it kind of sounds like it's exponential, so it's, as it gets higher up, it actually gets farther apart, or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it goes from zero to a thousand, and everything below 200 is not really high consciousness, it's really low consciousness. Yeah, and I think he says around 85% of the world is pretty much within, like, the under 200 um level of levels of consciousness yeah so, and, and i mean below courage and you know it makes sense <laughs> yeah fair enough i mean that might be borne out in the numbers um but i guess the idea is you you have to sort of move through each level individually i mean he says that you can be at different levels in different parts of your life and this is yeah. where you know it, it does get a little bit like okay well 
you have an explanation for all the shortcomings of the theory, and it's like, okay. <laughs> uh, and I guess he also goes into this stuff about kinesiologic testing, mm-hmm. where the idea is that, that which is true will make you be test strong, and that which is false, or like low consciousness, will make you test weak. So the idea is you'd have somebody hold up their arm, and you try to push it down, like, at the, the wrist when they're holding yeah. it out to the side. while they say a statement or a question. Yeah, and, it, and basically if the question is true, they'll be strong and you won't be able to push their arm down. And mm. if it's false, then you will. So the way I've kind of characterized this, it's like, it's like the guy found out we were all on the holodeck in a simulation and he found the control panel. He's like, guys, I can tell you what's going to happen uh, or what happened like, you know, a week ago in like explicit detail like it's all right here in this log and people are just like yeah yeah that sounds really weird and it's like yeah that does sound pretty weird but i mean you know who knows yeah i mean it's as he explains it's beyond linear thinking it's more kind of non-linear thinking it's like okay that's not really an argument but (laughs) okay i guess it's like i don't have high enough consciousness to understand the level of your argument so i mean i do have some issues with it like that but that is sort of explained away by saying well for you to get this you have to be at a certain level of consciousness anyway and it's like oh okay so any doubt is proof okay you know i've heard kafka traps like that before so yeah he is a bit critical of Skepticism. skepticism in general and i think that's the more i guess kind of harder rigid skepticism yeah i mean if you could look past all that stuff and just kind of look look at how he explains the levels of consciousness i think that's where the, a lot of the value really is you know yeah i mean he i think one of the best parts is how he explains um divine justice in that everyone will get what's due to them um, at, at some point and that everyone essentially, you know, earns what they get through their, I guess, their karmic actions. And at that one point, it'll it'll it will come back. The good the good actions and the bad will come back to us at some point. And so I think it's that helps give you know one a um i guess a faith in in that there is some sort of um you know divine power that rewards and i guess punishes people people get what they deserve basically yeah which is i guess the fun fundamental precept of what justice is supposed to be Mm. Because I've always kind of thought about this as well. It's like, you know, what is it about punishing the guilty that really creates justice? It's like, yeah, I can kind of see the argument. It's like someone does something bad, they should be punished. It's like, okay, yeah, I, I can I can see the argument. It kind of makes sense. If, well, you know, it's consequences. If they, yeah, it's right? consequences. Right? It's like, okay, if, if people get what they deserve and someone does something bad and they deserve to get something bad happening to them, it's like, okay, well, then, you know, the, the, the conclusion fits the premise in a mm. sense, right? But then there's also the sort of forgiveness angle. It's like, okay, well, what point is forgiveness justice? Mm-hmm. Right? And that's a hard question. It, it's not really completely self-evident. So, Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably based more on a specific context, right? Which right, and that's what the legal system thing. tries to wrangle with, right? And it's it's not really the right tool for the job a lot of the time. So, But I guess in, a, in the case of what 
this author would talk about would be like, well, whatever would be more based in power rather than in force. Mm-hmm. You know, so that which is more directed towards love rather than humiliation. Mm-hmm. Would Good, be. more towards evil, right? And I guess, you know, based cringe. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, you know, rather than compare it again to the lower states of consciousness that are, you know, are driven by motives of fear and, like, base ego survival. And... Mm. You know, when he talks about, especially the earlier levels of consciousness, um, he talks about the functions of the ego and how it's essentially, its purpose is to help us um, survive in a fairly primitive way, but it doesn't have the ability to properly distinguish, like, truth and falsehood, and that's something that's a better developed um, as you go through the higher levels of consciousness and those, you know, emotion states and, and virtues that are, are tied to them. And, um, you know, we are doing more of just a, a basic explanation here, but it's something we can go um, deeper with. And Well, I think it's an important solution to a lot of the problems that we're facing right now. I mean, if everyone were to focus more intently on raising their level of consciousness away from those more base level levels like i guess you know fear and shame and, and despair guilt and, yeah. yeah despair and all these kind of things, and focus more on like okay well how can i bring value to the world mm-hmm. you know and if everyone were to do that individually i think collectively things would get a lot better but i think unfortunately people kind of put the cart before the horse and like well how can we just force people to collectively get better individually yeah. and it's like what yeah, it's projected outward. Right. It's like, okay, listen, well, what if we just stuck a gun to their head and told them, listen, if you don't become a better person, we'll just fucking kill you. And it's like, okay, maybe that's not the best approach either. <laughs> you know, you can't just force people to become better. They got to want to do it. So Yeah, and the great thing about, you know, David Hawkins' Power versus Force is that he does emphasize the uh, necessity of self-responsibility because he does talk about, yeah, the, me- the defensive mechanisms of the ego to blame and project and try and control what's out there rather than manifesting a better, I guess, world inside ourselves, essentially. Yeah, so we're all sort of the creators of our own heaven or hell, in yeah. a sense. Yeah, and and as the, the consciousness ri- rises, so does our... I think ability, our personal power and ability to use that power in a constructive way is um, increased. Right, and also the ability to help attract people to that message. If you have a message that's based in truth, Mm -hmm. that's a powerful message that a lot of people are going to get on board with without it having to be forced upon them, right? It's it's like, listen, this is such a good idea. I gotta stick a gun to your head and make you believe it. It's like, <laughs> no. It's so good. <laughs> it doesn't require any of those costs. You know, there is no overhead for good ideas. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? You just gotta get them out there. And if people agree with them, great. If not, well, maybe they can try to argue with them. And in the mm-hmm. process, realize, well, maybe I'm not that good at arguing good ideas. You know, mm-hmm. especially when they counter them with bad ideas. It's like, well, we're just going to force people in. If they don't like it, we're going to throw them in gulags. 
It's like, no, we tried that again, and it didn't work. Didn't produce the Ubermensch or the Superman or whatever else. It just that's not how people work. You know, mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta give people the ability to make their own choices. Mm-hmm. And learn from the examples of other people's choices and kind of figure so it out. They, yeah, so they evolve within themselves rather than being yeah forced. And especially to. by well, I mean, the necessity would already come from nature, right? It's not like oh well, we have to make people's lives stressful so that they can become better people. It's like no, life is stressful enough. You know, just people people just trying to survive. I mean, that's that's tough enough. So if you kind of just leave them alone to figure out how to do that best for them, and as long as they're not hurting other people, people can Mm. experiment, and some things will work better than others. Some things, and I guess what you'd want to aim at would be that which is good for you now and into the future, and for you and your family and everyone else in the community. Mm -hmm. And and that, that limits your options severely. You know? There are only so many things that would be good for you now and into the future and for everybody else around you. But, I mean, trying to figure out what that is, you know, I guess that's the question, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, with these levels of consciousness, you know, discovering, having it articulated in such a specific way, um, and even, I just noticed within myself just reading about it, like, it, it's, it's pretty just inspiring in general. And you'll notice, I think, certain levels resonate with you more and other ones can you know provide a encouragement for you to aim for as well and yeah like if you find yourself stuck at one level it might be helpful to look at what the one right above that is and maybe aim for that instead yeah so if, if you have enough humility to admit that yeah yeah and then like if you're feeling really down in the dumps it might help to get a little bit angry about your situation so that you can get out of it and then maybe move into desire where you can start figuring out what, well, what would you prefer as an alternative. Mm-hmm. And and be doing that over and over and over again until you finally end up at something that, you know, approximates the ideal. Right. I like that. Yeah. That sounds great. So I think it's been a, a pretty productive episode incorporating these two books together. Mm-hmm. Was there anything else you wanted to add at the end here, Tim? Well, I think... We're at a time right now where, you know, we have some time for self-reflection. And I think, you know, with these levels of consciousness, it would be helpful to, you know, zero in and in which one we're currently at. And what is the next one that would be helpful for us in our life, not just for ourselves, but, you know, the people around us. So I think that's something good to aim for and yeah yeah i would agree definitely spend more time focusing on raising your own level of consciousness rather than raising your own number of likes on social media and likely that will influence your reality better better than having some external force (laughs) trying to do it for you yeah focus on the based and not on the cringe sounds good sorted skeptics out have a great christmas everyone bye-bye